0: Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. And I'm Adriana.
1: And I'm Sophia.
0: And we wanted to start this episode by saying thank you to everyone who came to our meetup in New York. We had so much fun a couple of weeks ago at the New York Encounter. Sophia and I were there. Unfortunately, Adriana couldn't make us. Yeah. and we. <laughs> We loved meeting you guys, and it really gave us um, a sense of the friendship that's being developed in this podcast and the mutual companionship. And um, I was just also just so grateful for the beauty of the hearts of everyone who's listening to us and, and their willingness to share their experiences with us. It was just such a joy.
1: Yeah. Totally an experience of verifying that there is such a cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, Mm -hmm. each with their own uh, charisma and gifts and perspective. Um, and relationship with the Lord, an incarnation of um, his presence in our midst. That was edifying for me, and I really enjoyed our time together. So uh, definitely keep a lookout. We'll probably attempt to do something similar next year in New York around the same time. So if you didn't manage to make it this time, uh, (laughs) never fear. Maybe we'll even go on tour (laughs) one (laughs)
0: year. Yes.
1: (laughs) To um, South Bend. (laughs) Listener Central. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's related to that. Today is our third and final part of our mini series with our listeners. So, today we've got an interview that I was not present for, but I've since listened to uh, with Catherine, who's a lawyer and a mom based in Virginia. Um, And she spoke with Julie and Adriana about her ministry of foster care.
2: Yeah, I was so grateful to meet Catherine in this way, someone none of us have met in person Mm -hmm. and so touched by the way in which Christ has found her through this ministry to a unique and specific care for Mm -hmm. children in vulnerable situations and children that find
1: themselves in the welfare system. Yeah, it was provocative for me as someone who works in the child trauma space um, in terms of my research to consider this place of overlap with Catholic social teaching and the invitation that is posed to me through my faith to, in the words of Matthew 25, to to really love Christ and everyone who hungers and thirsts and needs a home in my community here in Boston, and to Mm. to take seriously this as a responsibility of mine, as a a natural outflow of my belonging to the mystical body of Christ. And I was convicted by her witness and helped because, yeah, I really think that the Lord gives each of us um, particular wounds or particular desires for the sake of the whole church,
0: yeah, and going back to what you said earlier, Sophia, about our reflections on meeting some of you all in New York, um, I continue to be amazed at the the cloud of witnesses and the diversity of charisms, and how all of the saints on earth and on heaven and in heaven are are made one through Christ, um, and that the body really does need all of its parts. Um, and yeah, I just continue to be amazed by the way that that has made itself concrete in my life through the podcast and the mm-hmm. people that I've been able to meet in the podcast. And it's just always a gift. Um, I, I don't think I would ever get tired of learning more about uh, the people on this journey with us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, similarly, I think the intensity of her
2: witness, I don't know like, if my path of discipleship will take the same shape. And it could be likely I've always been very attracted to to the foster care ministry and felt a really strong desire as i talk about in the episode from Mm -hmm. from childhood but i did resonate deeply with the intensity of her witness that my life should also have an intensity of witness in in wherever i'm called right Mm -hmm. yeah so i i hope you guys enjoy the episode today and thanks so much for your feedback on these episodes we've been delighted to hear how much you've enjoyed them along with us And hope to bring you
1: some more in the future. We'll be back next month with a regular episode. Catherine, thank
0: you so much for being willing to come onto the Pilgrim Soul. We're so happy to have you here and to spend a little bit of time learning about you and your life with Christ today. Yeah, Catherine,
2: could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: I'd love to. And,
3: and thank you. I, I really appreciate the, the honor and the chance to be on this podcast. Um, I've really appreciated listening to your your thoughts and, and reflections over the last couple of years. Um, so I'm Catherine Sheffield. I'm a lawyer and a mom. I live in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I have two kids, a four and a half year old and a nine month old. So busy with that. Um, and I Previously was a litigator for several years, and I just made the jump into the policy world early, earlier this year. I'm a consultant to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops um, in their domestic policy office, which has been a really um, a wonderful door that got opened. Um, and just a kind of at the front, um, I am here in my individual capacity, not not on behalf of the conference. So yes, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.
2: Yeah, we're just curious, like, how did you find the podcast? And also, are you connected to community and liberation at all?
3: So I, I'm not connected to community and liberation. although I've had friends over the years who are mm. definitely and always heard really wonderful things. I, a few years ago, I was looking for Catholic podcasts, and I just posted on Facebook asking the Facebook world for recommendations. And it was a friend of a friend, really more of an acquaintance that um, posted and recommended your podcast. So That's how I found
2: you all. That's amazing. We're always so moved by new listeners that have what seems to be no relationship to us, like that we haven't personally encountered. And then yet upon speaking, we realize immediately again how small the Catholic world is. Mm -hmm. And in talking before this, you mentioned your husband was in the Navy the same time I was in the Navy. And you're a lawyer in the D.C. area, just like Julie. Mm -hmm. We all share children under the age of 5 and can really relate to adjusting to and integrating this like new identity as mother and it's really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I share Adriana's just amazement at how this podcast has been able to connect us with so many people that our paths wouldn't have crossed otherwise. Um and I think that's one of the main purposes of this series of interviews with our listeners is to just acknowledge that the the work that the Holy Spirit has done in building up our community through this podcast, and to really open up this conversation to be more explicitly two way. So um, we're here today to learn from you and your experiences, um, and to hear to hear more about them. So on that note, Catherine, I would love if you would start. Just tell us about. Your relationship with Christ. Where did your pilgrimage begin? How did you encounter Him? How did you decide to continue saying yes to Him? And like, what just what brought you to where you are today?
3: Yeah, so I um, actually I grew up Protestant, um, and then kind of the end of my undergrad experience is when God really started speaking to my heart about Catholicism, and I converted in my early twenties, um, which was just a really you know, an incredible experience. And so I've been Catholic, you know, for, for over 10 years now. And my, my husband is also a convert. Hmm. So that's kind of where my, my Catholic journey began. But I, I you know, I, I was always had a close relationship with Christ growing up and grew up in a really, you know, wonderful Protestant community. So I think, in terms of there's so many different aspects to to my pilgrimage, and, you know, being a wife and a mom is such an important part of that in my vocation. Um, I think professionally has always been an area where God has just really spoken to me and, and called to me. And kind of, a, again, at a young age, I really felt like God was saying, you know, look, look to and care for vulnerable children. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, and in undergrad, that started to kind of become a little bit more clear to me that I, he was saying like, no, look to the foster care system, the child welfare system. Um, and I had the opportunity to just, get to know and become friends with such amazing people um, in my undergrad experience. But it turned out that a lot of them had had some sort of experience with abuse or neglect themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was so in awe of these amazing, um, mostly women, um, these amazing women, but I also saw how much harder they had to work because they had been through so much. Mm -hmm. And I think it really crystallized for me into the fact that so much of um, abuse and neglect in the way that children are treated could be prevented. Um, And, you know, there's prevention looks like a lot of different things. Um, You know, oftentimes we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but what we call neglect is oftentimes it's really just poverty. Um, And so a lot of the prevention we can do is really just addressing poverty, but that kind of became a through line for me of, okay, well, this can be prevented. How can I do that? And that kind of propelled me ultimately into law school. So that's kind of, where, where where my journey began. And I think, you know, it's still, still ongoing, but kind of really seeing where God is calling me to both be a mother myself, but also to, to fight for and advocate for vulnerable children professionally.
2: That's really beautiful. Growing up, my parents, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast, they were foster parents. And we fostered two children. And they were such profound experiences, my life so dear. The highs of highs and the lows of lows. We had a baby for a couple of years, and as a child, I, I just you know embraced her as a sister and expected that she'd stay with us permanently. And when she went back to her biological home, that was really painful for me. Mm-hmm. And our relationship with her biological family was initially quite strong, and then deteriorated afterwards. And that was a like another a, a second death i suppose that mm. that they had decided to no longer be in contact with us and i was just quite quite young so didn't know all the details and and didn't really understand but it was such an impactful event upon my heart in opening what it even meant to be family as just a young child i i innately did not i innately understood family to be beyond just like bloodlines or a biological relation, I truly like embraced. Um, who Christ gives you becomes family, and that has a has a permanent obligation upon your heart. Mm-hmm. And even though that doesn't take place now in an ongoing relationship, at least with with the first little girl who was with us, it does through prayer and perhaps like a future ministry in the foster system in a more intentional way.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That's really beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing
0: that. Yeah. I'm struck, Catherine, as you're talking. Um, well, first I think it's appropriate as you share your your calling and your passion for uh, taking care of the most vulnerable. We're recording this about a week from mm-hmm. Christmas. And so we're waiting for the Christ child to be born. And I think it's particularly appropriate to reflect as we reflect on his vulnerability and humility and coming to us and what that means for how we Treat the young in our society, um, who I think young children who have no say over when or where they're born, and they're and they're so helpless. They're so dependent on us for everything, as we can see from our own children. I think those truly are the most vulnerable lives in our society, um, and so it's very important work that you're doing. And I'm struck by how it it started with a desire. It started like with a love, your love for the person in front of you, and the details came later, and they're unfolding over time. Before we hit record, Kath and I were talking about how both of our careers um, have taken paths we just hadn't expected and and maybe wouldn't have chosen for ourselves, and yet we've just kind of followed where Christ leads us. And so I'm really uh, moved by your example of saying yes um, and then seeing this call unfold over time and and seeing where He takes you.
3: You know, it's interesting. I think also um – you, you, you said, you know, loving the people in front of me. I also learned by example, there was a big family at my church growing up um, and they also they fostered for years um, and they um, they adopted some of them and others, you know, would be for them with them for a time and then go back home. And I I think a lot of my passion for foster care started there. I just didn't quite have the words to put to it till I was older. I took care of. Uh, they had an infant um, who, unfortunately, she, she ended up passing away um, at a very early age. But I took care of her in the nursery at the church. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just. I think just to emphasize, I also I was learning from the example of this family of what it means to come kind of to radically love and to open their family. Um, so I think that was that was modeled to me by that family. i very. I haven't you know spoken to that family since I was a kid, but I'm very thankful you know even today for their example.
2: Yeah, I mean that just sounds like they were the face of Christ for you at that young age. How does Christ like continue to um show himself in your professional work?
3: Yeah. So I think just one of the uh, again just amazing ways is starting this job at the uh, Bishop's Conference and you know a lot of what at least from the policy side is um, they do a lot of just amazing work in promoting family unity and you know, a lot of anti-poverty work. And I, so, and that, that definitely clearly had God's hand in it. Um, so very, very thankful to be able to be working on the policy side. And I do a little bit of foster care work there. It's kind of pretty broad what I, what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that definitely has been something new and, and challenging and definitely seeing God's hand in that. Um, I think over the last few years, one of the kind of big ways that, God has been calling me is I started a foster care and adoption ministry a few years ago um, at my parish and that was I didn't up until a few years ago I didn't think that God was calling me to do something related to foster care within the church that was not I was really just thinking about as a lawyer about the child welfare system and then he kind of was started poking me I was like oh but but the the church can do more. Like we can always as Catholics do more. Um, And so that again, kind of led to this foster care and adoption ministry. Yeah. So that was kind of the the more recent thing. Um, And essentially what it is and kind of the form that it took is this idea that, you know, foster care and adoption is not just for families that choose to foster or adopt. It has to be much more than that, Mm -hmm. Um, that there's really a role for everyone in caring for vulnerable children in our community And so much of that can be done at the parish level. Ministries of different churches can operate differently, um, but it's really kind of how can you wrap around families um, that are one, either maybe at risk of having some sort of child welfare interaction, like how can we support these families and keep them together in the first place, always most importantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if a child is in the system in some way, how can we wrap around the the foster families and really help them, you know, do Christ's work in those kids' lives? Um, You know, and that can be anywhere from, you know, babysitting or direct work with the kids, but it can also be really simple providing groceries or if there's an emergency placement, bringing diapers and, and things like that. So, yes, that's kind of the been the kind of the most recent ways that God has been kind of calling me
0: further into this. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I also I'm moved by your deep understanding of the church as one body, because I think that's a real challenge to our individualistic society where one might think, oh, foster care, that's Mm -hmm. their thing. That's what they're doing. I'm going to do my thing over here. And your thing is great, but my thing is different. And instead, um, what it means to belong to a church, what it means to belong to the, the body of Christ means that we are all one. So if something is happening in your neighbor's life, it's for you and it's also your responsibility to be supporting that person and to be accompanying them and, and it's going to look different for all of us because you know God does call us in different ways. Um, but you can't just turn a blind eye. Your your neighbor's responsibility also becomes yours. I think that's very countercultural. I think it's really important and you know the we're, we're all influenced by the culture we live in and so we've all been influenced by this to some extent, um this fallacy and I think this it's really it's a really provocation for me.
2: Me too. I I've been struck at times by the lack of or sparsity of like public ministries for the foster care system in the Catholic church. Even here, when I've researched them, there are, there are a few, but they're all connected to Protestant churches. And I do think that's, I don't know, maybe just in my own experience that I could be corrected, but it seems like a common gap hmm. and such an obvious method of discipleship um, even as simple as like care for the orphans and widows that we're told over and over again in the Old Testament, that there isn't a more prominent active ministry. It is a huge poverty,
3: both for us and the children at need. I agree um, completely. And I don't think it's just your experience. I have I've spent a lot of time trying to find other people doing the same work in other ministries, and it's just not being done on a broad level, I think I think we can learn a lot from our Protestant brothers and sisters in this space. I will say that the Texas Conference of Bishops, they spearheaded this a few years ago and they started um, a St. Joseph ministry, which is, it's a foster care ministry. Um, and they worked really closely um, with Child Protective Services there and kind of they created a toolkit and encouraged the parishes in Texas to do this. And so I, I think they really have, you know, kind of been the kind of at the forefront of the work here in the US. But yes, it's. I don't know why it's. there's not more of it. I don't know if it's Catholic Charities does so much work in this space. And so I don't know if there's a little bit of the kind of what you you said earlier about it's kind of someone else's job doing it. So we think Catholic Charities is doing the work, mm. um, but they're social services, right? They're doing, they can place children, but they still need homes to place them in. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it makes my heart sad that there's not more work, but I think for me, it's just kind of more of a fire of well let's do more. Let's get diocese involved. Let's, let's do a Texas did everywhere.
2: What has been your experience like with the ministry? Do you find that people are naturally attracted to join and help? And what has engagement
3: been like? The biggest challenge is getting people um, to realize that they have a role, even if they don't want to foster themselves. So very similar to kind of what we've already been talking about. And I think a, a lot of it's almost a, a marketing challenge of how do you get someone to open up the bulletin insert or, you know, we would table at mass after mass. You know, how do you get someone to walk by your table? Because they, they see the words foster care and adoption and it's uh, well, I'm not, I don't feel called to that. So I'm hmm. it's not worth my time or, you know, not worth my energy. I think that's one of the biggest problems. And uh, a, a gentleman that I spoke to a couple years ago, he's in the Protestant space and he said that at his church, it was such an uphill battle that even just getting people to say the words foster care, like even getting that into conversation was movement forward. Mm. Um, that always stuck with me is just kind of, I, I don't think it's stigma. It's not, it's not stigma. I think there's fear. I think people are, are, are scared. They think it's not something they can do or then there's a lot of ignorance, maybe, maybe fear from ignorance, but I, I it's the same, the same challenge. No, we definitely, it was hard to get people involved because I don't think they realize that your involvement could be as simple as preparing a meal, which Catholics are amazing at, right? Like we're so good at things like that. Um, And foster care ministries need a lot of that too. So I think it's just really educating and starting to kind of break through the barriers of kind of misconceptions about who foster youth are and who foster families are and, you know, kind of what, um, what families need.
2: I love that because, It strikes me as so true in terms of my own vocational journey, just like even thinking about my marriage to Brian. Like when I met Brian, Christ wasn't like, this is the man you are to marry or him to me. That would have been really frightening and seemed too large. Like I don't even know this person, but it was just one small yes. And the first yes was like an invitation to dinner. And then the second yes, like after conversations you have no idea what Christ is going to do with your yes. And it may eventually lead to foster care and it may eventually lead to adoption, but it may just lead to more meals. And I think that's really beautiful. And it also, because I grew up with fostering as part of my life, I, I didn't realize there was fear around it. And because I also had such pause, we had two experiences and they're both were very positive. It surprised me later that people seemed so shocked about it. Mm. The second person my parents fostered, she was 16, and she stayed with us until she was 18, like, formally in the foster system, and then just, you know, kept living with my parents until she was 19 and eventually moved out on her own. But people were really astonished that we'd welcome an older child because of this, like, fear of danger. I don't want to, like negate that possibility, I suppose. But my mom worked for um, the Department of Children and Family Services. So she had more access and engagement in general with communities in need. And we ended up meeting the person who who lived with us um, through that. So we had already had a relationship for years. She was on my basketball team. She was a friend. She came over for dinner often my mom drove her dad to work every day because he didn't have a car so we were already really involved and those were the little yeses that when she needed to be in foster care it was just a next step like we were already so in relationship with her it wasn't it was just another little yes and that's what i'm really encouraged about by your ministry is that it's just inviting people to to one small yes that then may open but it would become maybe a more obvious yes, like it was for us, and not always. But but I think that is like a real pathway that that people perhaps just don't know about.
3: Yes, and I think it's interesting you mentioned um, children in, in foster care and their teens, because that's really so so many of the of the children in in foster care are teens, you know, and hence a lot of them age out of the system without ever reuniting with their family or finding um, a family through adoption. And I think that's also such an area that we can educate people on is um, foster care is not, it's not just babies. In fact, it's usually not babies. It's not just five year olds. It's all, it's all of the ages and a lot of teens and people may actually feel called to be in the life of a teen, maybe by mentoring or something like that. And I think that's another huge piece of this that we could really, you know, empower people to get involved if they understood that it's, a lot of the work is how do we stand alongside teens as they're, um, you know, about to kind of face the world as adults and, and be their family, be their community.
0: Thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're sharing this experience with us. I'm curious about how this ministry has changed you, in particular, your gaze upon your own children, but also just, you know, your friendships or, or um, the other parts of your professional life and just, yeah, how it's, how it's changed your gaze. I was so thankful for my
3: kids. I think maybe maybe even more so. And I think I I'm aware of the the privileges that my family has and and just the fact that I know that my children are have food on the table and have steady housing, stable housing and all of those things, that that's not that's not something I earned, that that's something that I that I have um in life for a lot of different reasons. And it just kind of is a reminder every day that, you know, there are children whose parents can't provide those things and it's not, they're in poverty and it's not their fault. Most certainly. Um, and there's a system that they're, they're fighting against. So I think that it, it definitely has changed the way that I, that I see the the love and stability that my kids have. And I, I want that for everyone. Then mm-hmm. um, I think professionally, it just, I just always want to do more. And I sometimes get frustrated that I just, I want more hours in the day or, um, and sometimes that's not, the, the zeal is good, but sometimes I it turns into impatience, you know, and, and not necessarily accepting, you know, that God put limits to, you know, what I can do physically and what I can do in a day. And especially at, you know, a time when I have little kids, so, you know, a lot of my time is, yeah. you know, blessed to be taking care of my little kids. Um, I just want to be able to do more.
0: Yeah, I certainly relate to that. <laughs> um, what about when you look forward, either for yourself in your life? Um, or in your relationships, or for our listeners, what are what desires do you have? What things are on your heart?
1: Yeah,
3: um, I would love to see you know more and and to be a part of more parishes and, and dioceses and the Catholic you know the Catholic community starting these ministries and being more present in this space. And part of that, I think, we could do a lot in um, how we work with couples preparing for marriage. Mm. From the conversations I've had, uh, I don't think foster care and adoption usually comes up in marital prep. Yeah, I think if it does, it's rare. I think it's a topic that is usually we only bring it up um, if a if a couple is struggling with infertility. Um, and I understand that, but I don't think that that's actually the the proper place to. We should not limit it to that. Um, and Pope Francis actually has a really um really wonderful quote on this. He says the choice of adoption and foster care expresses a particular kind of fruitfulness in the marriage experience and not only in cases of infertility. And so I think if we could educate couples to start discerning whether or not, you know, fostering, adopting is something they're called to, but mm-hmm. start that discernment during engagement, you know, have that be part of as they're, you know, praying and, you know, kind of faithfully considering what God wants for them. Um, I, I think that we could do uh, a lot of really good there. I love that. Yeah, I also think um just for I, I know in, in my husband and I have talked about fostering and, and it's it's an ongoing conversation. I think I always thought that I would that's something I want for my family growing up and it's become something that's more in my professional life, but always open to kind of where God is going to lead us. Um and then I think finally I I would love to see um, just Catholics have a stronger voice in the child advocacy world in general. Um, there's a lot of, you know, really wonderful organizations out there that do, you know, large scale litigation on behalf of children, kind of all foster care, but all different kind of aspects of, you know, justice for children. Um, and they do policy work. Um, as far as I know, there isn't a Catholic organization that does that. Um, you know, there's a Catholic voice in a lot of different arenas, but there is no Catholic group that's kind of on par with those groups um, and some of those groups have they do really wonderful work, but some of their teachings are not not in line with with the Catholic Church on certain things. Um, and I think that we would be doing a greater service to youth if we were a little bit more in that kind of legal litigation and and policy world. So, so yes, if if God has has a
0: role for me, you know, one day and you know,
3: kind of helping to push something like that forward, I'd be very thankful.
0: Yeah, no, those those all three seem like really important and beautiful desires. And yeah, I really appreciate your openness and your humility in asking God what He wants from you and, and letting Him take you there. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, Catherine. And it's really been inspiring to
2: me to, to ask again, like, what are the small yeses I could make to open my heart mm-hmm. to this ministry? And that doesn't immediately mean um, applying to be a foster parent myself. And I'm also just like encouraged to, to look at other resources and templates that are available. You mentioned the diocese in Texas, and I want also people to know that it's not like reinventing the wheel. Yeah. There are places to start.
3: Yes, if listeners are are looking for kind of very very practical um, tips, if you Google the Saint Joseph Ministry for the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops, they have a whole toolkit with every little step you need to do to start a ministry at your church.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They worked, they worked really, really hard on, on that. So it's, it's a very helpful resource. We'll definitely check that out and we can link it, um, for anybody who else who is curious.
3: And I'm always happy to talk to anyone too. Always, always happy. (laughs) Thank
0: you. (laughs) Wonderful. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. It is just such a joy to meet you and to see you in person. Um, Thank you for following our podcast and for being willing to share your experience with our listeners. I know that it'll it'll bless it'll bless them.
3: Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you, Catherine. God bless you and God bless your ministry.